0: is hour number three of the john and leah show my name is john Zigler. my co-host is leah brandon we get together each week for three hours we talk about the news of the week and the events of our often bizarre lives and we do so in an entertaining informative and unique fashion in this hour i intend to get to um several stories that i found very interesting this week and i guarantee you uh, that our take will be um unique Uh, because that's why we call the show unique. Uh, It'll be stuff you haven't heard elsewhere um, or likely have not heard elsewhere, uh, or at least you won't hear it any better than what you're going to hear on this particular hour of the John and Leah show. Leah, I want to start with a story that, since I broadcast from Southern California while you're in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, was... um, a huge deal it was a big story nationally but obviously in the los angeles area it was massive and i'm referring to the last basketball game of pro basketball legend kobe bryant and the reason why i want to discuss this has very little to do with sports as you know i'm a former tv sports caster and a former big sports fan no longer especially in the professional side i think Uh, Professional sports has basically become 100% entertainment and a business. The game no longer matters. And why I find the Kobe thing interesting is because I think it's emblematic of something else that's happening in our society where almost everything is fake. Yes. Um, And what I mean by the Kobe deal, for those who don't know it, uh, Kobe Bryant uh, retired earlier this year because he... Could no longer play basketball. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> he, right. He he sucked, and he wrote a very poetic and interesting retirement letter, which we read on the air here on the John and Leah show. And I thought it was you know interesting, poignant, although it was obviously a marketing ploy. Dear basketball, right? Dear basketball, <laughs> and um and so he somehow was hey we got to give him some credit. He somehow was able to get through this season. While sucking, uh, the team was horrendous. Worst year, I believe, in the history of the franchise, at least the modern history of the franchise. Uh, But no one seemed to matter. No one seemed to care because it was all about Kobe. Kobe, 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 Mm -hmm. Kobe. Kobe. You know, he, he was terrible. The team stunk. And it was all this anticipation for his last game. So his last game comes, and they're playing the Utah Jazz. And interestingly, the Utah Jazz had just literally been eliminated moments before the game started. They had been eliminated from playoff contention which means the game meant nothing to them and kobe ends up at the end of this game scoring 60 points (laughs) 60 points now in the history of the nba there are only a handful of players who have ever scored 60 points in any game in their entire career but here kobe is He's horrendous for almost the entire year. He's in his 20th season. He can barely jump. He can't even dunk anymore because of all the injuries and the age. Uh, And somehow he scores 60 points, and they come back at the very last second. You know, I think they were down 10 points with a couple minutes left, and they end up winning the game at home. All the stars are there. Jack Nicholson and, you know, every other. The usual suspects. All the Hollywood stars are there. And it's this fairy tale ending, and everybody's happy. It's Hollywood, Tinseltown, la, la, la. Every, it's just incredible. And I will acknowledge that for the last couple of minutes of the game, Kobe was amazing. Uh, but, but to get the 60 points, he had to shoot the ball 50 times. Now, <laughs> for people who don't know basketball, that's beyond unheard of. <laughs> No one ever shoots the ball 50 times in one basketball game. And if you do, you better score a hell of a lot more than 60 points. That's right. Now, here's my – and, and here, I truly believe that the Jazz tanked the game at the end. Um, not in a conspiratorial way. I just think they all knew what the right narrative was supposed to be, what the storyline was supposed to be. Kind of like the Washington Generals playing the Harlan Globetrotters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the Washington Generals know what their job is. They're supposed (laughs) to lose to the Globetrotters. And um, that's what the Jazz did. Now, that doesn't mean that what Kobe did at the end of the game was completely a farce.
1: Yeah, because listen, your Twitter feed, I'm telling you,
0: I had whiplash Uh, from it. Well, I was very (laughs) conflicted because... Here I, I – I love the good story as much as anybody, right? Oh, sure. And, and, a, and a, an old legend, you know, being able to dig down deep one last time to show his greatness, that's a great story, especially for an old guy like me, right? So, yes. And, I, and I'm from the Philadelphia suburbs. Kobe, you know, grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs. You know, So, I mean, he's a great basketball <laughs> player. So I, I was wanting to buy that narrative. And then, Mm -mm. and then you were really mad during the game. (laughs) Well, it was such a joke. I mean, the game itself was an embarrassment. If it was an exhibition game, Uh, but this is supposed to be an NBA regular season game, and um, and so here's so basically what we're left with is that the news media, and and this is what drives me crazy. The news media never picks a lane. Um, They always pick the narrative that they want, and so and so there's only really two options here and how to evaluate kobe's last game and the 60 points either it was real in which case wow holy mackerel why is he retiring if you've just scored 60 (laughs) points in an nba basketball game there's no need to retire you've got you know several months to rest up for the next season you still got it yes or the other option (laughs) is (laughs) <laughs> it was completely fake. It was as fake as a $3 bill. Um, and the whole thing was a farce. And why, so if it was a farce, which I think logic indicates that it was, again, not in a conspiratorial way. You, you know, Shakespeare said it best. All the world's a stage and every man's an actor. People know their roles. They know. They instinctively know. They do wh- what the right narrative, the best narrative, the best story is. They know what they're supposed to do. There was so much media hype surrounding this. Everybody knew, including the referees, knew what was supposed to be the outcome. That doesn't mean they got in a, into a room and they conspired. They didn't need a memo. They didn't know. No, they didn't need a memo. Thank you. Um, but if it wasn't real. Why are we pretending it was? Exactly. It, Although,
1: I have to say that when it was over, you tweeted out something like, I take everything back. And then that only lasted right. for five minutes or something. And then you started back. In no, that's it. exactly
0: right. What you've described very well, Lee, is this. What <laughs> Here's what happened. My emotional side, which is is yes. usually, usually down by my toes, my emotional side perked up and said, wow, that was amazing! And then, after the euphoria died down, my rational side stuffed the emotional side back down and said, what are you talking about, moron?
1: I saw it play out live on Twitter.
0: (laughs) I mean, really, the whole thing. it just flat out ridiculous. I mean, it really, it was. And, I mean, no one wanted that story to be, you know, happy ending better than I did. One other thing on Kobe, because this will lead us into the next story, which deals with race. It's amazing to me and more than a bit depressing that Kobe is now a black icon Mm -hmm. Um, and and, and how he became a black icon really bothers me. And now let's be clear, Um, you know, O.J. Simpson rightfully got a lot of uh, derision, not nearly enough because he killed two people uh, for, you know, basically giving up his blackness and becoming a white guy. But at least O.J. was once a quote unquote black guy. Kobe has been the whitest black man in the history of basketball. He grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Lower Marion High School. He grew up in Italy, in Italy, from six to 13. He was in Italy. Then after high school, he moves. To Los Angeles, and he wasn't living in Compton, folks. Not, I don't, there are not too many black people that weren't six foot eight or taller in Kobe's neighborhood. I can guarantee empty you that. And so somehow, and it's all because of the rape allegation. He beat, you think so? He beat the rape allegation, so that gave him street cred in the wow. black community. That's wow. what that's what bugs me. Is that that's how you get street cred? That's how you be, get your blackness back by beating. A a legitimate rape allegation where you ended up giving a civil settlement uh, an undisclosed amount of money to your accuser. Now I don't know whether it was rape or not, but and I know rich people they can write a check and make it go away. I'm sorry that there's something was there. Something he did. The ring on his wife's finger tells you he did something really really wrong. Oh for sure. Uh, um, And so it just it it bugs me that Kobe somehow. Uh, was able to get past all of that and became a bigger hero in the end, in part because of it. Uh, and I think it's an indication of just how crappy our culture is. All right, um, and how fake everything. Everything is fake. And you know what really pisses me off? This is the part that pisses me off. Now everything that happens in sports that's an amazing story, I autom- I can't enjoy it because I automatically yes. think, well, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Like like perfect example, Usain Bolt, the track star. He's amazing. I've never been able to enjoy any of his Olympic victories because I'm presuming he's got to be on steroids (laughs) because he he can't possibly be that good or something has to be wrong about it. And so now it's destroyed every potentially great sports story. And, you know, when you bastardize the game so that Kobe can get 60 points in his last contest, that's the price you pay. But no one cares because it's all about the narrative today. That's all that matters is what's gonna sell today. And that's what the news media is all about. All right, when we come back more on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. If you ever have trouble sleeping, do yourself a favor, folks, and listen up. It might just change your life. I know it had a big impact on mine. I'm talking about using my pillow. You may have seen my pillow's owner, Mike Lindell, on their TV commercials. Well, my pillow is fit just for you, the kind of sleeper you are, on your back or your side, or how big or small you are. I love my pillow, and my wife and daughter use theirs as well. Obviously, a good night's sleep is a life changer. And now's your chance to take advantage of this special offer. Buy one MyPillow, and we'll give you one for your partner for free. Don't waste another night on bad sleep. Life's too short. Call 800-871-1827. That's 800-871-1827. Use the promo code JL for the John and Leah show for your free pillow and start sleeping better right away. Call 800-871-1827 or go to MyPillow.com and be sure to use that promo code JL for two life-changing pillows made in America with a 10-year warranty, all for the price of one. That's MyPillow.com. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And Leah, the, uh, the dumbest and uh, probably most uh, frustrating story of the week that I saw uh, was on the front page of the USA Today mm-hmm. on, uh, I believe this was Thursday. And it dealt with alleged policed racism in Chicago. Uh, Here's the USA Today. The city's police department is beset by racism and needs sweeping reforms to help it win back trust in the black community. This according to a report uh, released by a panel tasked by Mayor Rahman Emanuel. The Chicago Police Accountability Task Force called on the Chicago Police Department to, quote, acknowledge its racist history and, <laughs> and overall its handling of excessive force allegations. The report contains over 100 recommendations for reform and is replete with statistics that suggest African-Americans in the city of Chicago are disproportionately targeted by police the task force these are the key statistics leah the task force found 74 percent of people killed or injured by chicago police officers over the last eight years were african american in Mm -hmm. 2014 72 percent of people stopped by chicago police were black 17 percent were hispanic about 76 percent of the time that a taser was deployed between 2012 and 2015 it was used on a black suspect About 33% of the city's population is black. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, Uh so here we go. Uh, We've got basically... Obviously, that's out of whack. Right. I mean, there's only one explanation for that. There's only one. I mean, (laughs) you've got, you know, in the numbers in the 70s for uh, people being killed or injured, people being stopped, people being tasered. You, got, you know, Blacks are 70% plus in all those categories, and they only make up 33% of Chicago's population. So in today's world, right. where it's outcome that matters, equality mm-hmm. of outcome, not equality of opportunity, but equality of outcome is all that matters, that is de facto proof of racism. <laughs> now, of course- In a rational world, which we no longer live in, someone with maybe a sixth-grade education Mm -hmm. would go, Well, okay, that's an interesting stat, but that doesn't prove anything unless, at the very least, you scale for or account for poverty. Because, quite obviously, you're going to have more crime in areas that are poor and less crime in areas that are rich. And guess what? Where are you gonna put police resources? Are you gonna put police resources in the area with high crime or low crime? <laughs> which which ones? I mean, it's, <laughs> isn't this, it's, it's amazing how obvious this is, yet you're not even allowed to suggest that, Leah. No black right. person will because they're an Uncle Tom. No white person will because they'll be a racist.
1: That's right. So no one even. The whole police department's racist. So, I mean, why are you even looking into it? Obviously.
0: You've proven it (laughs) because the stats prove it. We don't need anything else but the stats. You know, there's lies, (laughs) damn lies and statistics. And that's proof (laughs) right there. All right. uh, More on this and more uh, stories yet to come on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And Leah, that story that we talked about in the last segment about the, uh, the police officers in Chicago allegedly being racist is proven mm-hmm. by some simple statistics that could easily be refuted by just basic logic having to do with... Uh, having those stats be scaled for, for instance, poverty, which, of course, would be far beyond the concept of anybody in the mainstream news media, and no one has the guts to even remotely take on those statistics if you're a white person, because then you're a racist, and if you're a black person, then you're an Uncle Tom. The underlying premise of that whole effort, in my view, and I think you'll agree, is that liberals need an excuse for why it is, that over two generations of legally being equal, blacks, whites, every other race, blacks being equal for over two generations legally has not more dramatically, naturally enhanced the lives of black people. So we need an excuse. Why are there not more successful black people? Why are so many black people still mired in poverty? And why do so many black people, especially black young black men, why do they go to prison why do they go to jail why do they have so much interaction with the police so we need an excuse and the excuse victims right the the victimhood must be maintained right and then there's also an industry a victimhood industry there which is also part of it that's what's driving the leadership but but what's driving the narrative is we need an excuse because it can't be anything other than racism Uh, Even though, you know, legally we've been equal, and I'm not naive to think that there's never been any racism over the last two generations, but um, I do believe that in many areas of life, for at least the last couple of decades, you have had an advantage if you are a black person. Correct. An advantage. And so the fact that we're not seeing dramatic increases in the quality of life among black people... That's a problem. So we need an excuse. So the excuse is all all police officers must be at least a little bit racist. We're also seeing this even not,
1: if they are black
0: themselves. Right. That's a really good one. Okay. Right. That's right. The thing like what happened in Baltimore. Uh, Correct. Um, so yeah, that's a great point. So um, and it's not just with regard to police work. We need excuses elsewhere. We need excuses, for instance, for why blacks are not doing better academically. And there was was an entire conference in Philadelphia this weekend devoted to providing such an excuse. I'm not making this up. The name of the conference was the White Privilege Conference. (laughs) The White Privilege Conference. I'm just ate up with it. (laughs) Can you imagine if I had been at the White Privilege Conference? conference and i've in a million years this would never have been allowed to happen but if i was allowed to speak at the (laughs) white privilege conference i mean there would have been riots uh and there probably would have been a dead man probably me (laughs) at the end of the (laughs) at the end of the discussion um but here who came up with that stupid thing white privilege (laughs) i don't know who did but i'm gonna i'm gonna read you part of a, a story from the daily caller which is a conservative uh, website but I think this is a, a fairly well somewhat biased fairly accurate reading of what transpired uh, th- listen to this this is this is how far academia is willing to go now to demonize what our traditional view of academics has been in order to provide an excuse for people who are not white uh, this is the story from the Daily caller A professional education consultant and teacher trainer argued at the White Privilege Conference in Philadelphia that great teachers must also be liberal activists and described in detail her goal for destroying the, quote, white supremacist nature of modern education. Heather Hackman operates Hackman Consulting Group and was formerly a professor of Multicultural Education at Minnesota's St. Cloud State University, where she taught future teachers. So this this woman's (laughs) influence is going to be felt for years and years and years. On Friday, Hackman was given a platform at the White Privilege Conference to deliver a workshop with the lengthy title, this is the title of the workshop, No Freedom Unless We Call Out the Wizard Behind the Curtain, Critically Assessing the Corrosive Effects of Whiteness, in teacher education and professional development. How racist is that? Well, not no, because she's black. That can't oh, be racist. Come on, get with the program, okay. Leah. The, right, lo- the long title masked a simple thesis on Hackman's part. Modern education is hopelessly tainted by white supremacy and the white imperial gaze, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> and the solution <laughs> is to train prospective teachers in college to be activists for liberalism. In fact, Hackman argued that teachers shouldn't even bother teaching if they aren't committed to promoting social justice in school. Now what are the what are, what is she proposing? There are two elements that apparently she proposed at the white privilege conference okay. that are elements of academia that are clearly white privilege and white supremacy that which need to be eliminated. Testing and standards. You're darn close. <laughs> we need to get rid of grades. Oh, there we go. And it's the grade's fault. See, it's it, that's the reason <laughs> why black people haven't improved academically over the last several decades when they've had not just equal opportunity but maybe enhanced opportunity, well, not maybe, definitely have had enhanced opportunity in a lot of ways. It's the fact that we grade. That's the uh. problem. So if we just eliminated grading, Leah, don't you see? If we, I do. If we eliminated grading... Then we wouldn't have this problem anymore. The other right. thing, which by the which is also a form of white supremacy, and which we need to get rid of, is graduating. Uh, close uh, the focus on punctuality. Punctuality apparently is a form of white supremacy, and <laughs> and so so we need to eliminate the emphasis on being on time. Showing up on time, being punctual, (laughs) and we need to get rid of grades. If we just do that, the divide, the academic divide between whites and Asians and, let's say, blacks, and I don't know if she considers Hispanics to be part of this group or not, but here in California, there's certainly an academic divide among those lines, along those lines. If we just got rid of grades and this emphasis on showing up on time... (laughs) Being somewhere where you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there. That's racist, Leah. You know, it's that white privilege. Don't you understand that that is a rule that was created by white people to keep black Mm -hmm. people down? Don't you understand that? that? That's
1: crazy. I mean, didn't Hillary Clinton and Bill de Blasio just get in trouble for a joke about that?
0: Yeah, the um, colored people time. Although, I actually— I. I actually didn't think there was anything wrong with that at all because I thought they were making a joke about the whole thing, and it wasn't. I didn't think it was racist at all. Although if a Republican had done it, they would have been toast. No question well, about it. Well, uh, isn't that what this is
1: talking about? It's ridiculous. Well,
0: it's a stereotype, I guess. That black people aren't on time. I guess that's what it is. You're right. So, so Hillary Clinton should have been a guest speaker at the white privilege conference yes. in Philadelphia. I mean, the whole thing is it's just flat out ridiculous. Um, it, it is, but it's. <laughs> (laughs) also serious because because folks this is not a total aberration all right these are the types of people who control the decisions and when they don't get any blowback and eventually they're gonna get their way because they've already won the central battle the central battle was to chill criticism to make anything critical of them inherently racist. See, this is mm-hmm. why why we're so screwed. Because no one, even as absurd as that is, there won't be any universal condemnation. I guarantee you in Philadelphia there was no negative media coverage of this. Because why would you bother? Because if you're a white reporter, you might get fired. And, yes. that, and, and, and if you're a black person you probably agree with it or at least at the very least you don't want anyone to know that you disagree with it so so there's then you'll be fired right well you might not be fired but you're just you know you're gonna lose your street cred you'll be an uncle tom and that's gonna be a whole nother series of problems the reality is that these people are allowed to go on and do their thing unmolested and oftentimes they get adulation for it because sure. the people that are deciding their fate are all liberal whack jobs too so I mean and I it's it's just so it's hilarious but it's also frustrating and scary and you know this isn't directly related to race but there was another story that was linked on the Drudge report today I don't know if it's still there or not out of um great britain which was scary as hell that apparently college professors are now finding in great britain that students don't have college students college students don't have the attention span to finish reading books yeah they do not have the attention span in college in great britain to read books social media I don't think that that's an aberration either I I have said time and time again that the shrinking to almost nothingness of the attention span of the average American especially of younger Americans is going to come back to haunt us in a huge way we live in a society where if it doesn't fit on a tweet forget about it right forget about it if, it, if it's not if it's over 140 characters sorry that's too long it's too involved and you know what that means? That means the truth has no chance because you can't fit the truth on a tweet. A lie is very easy to fit on a tweet, (laughs) especially if it's a convenient lie, a popular one. Um, But the reality is truth is complex. Context matters. And that's why books have always been so important because sometimes it takes 300, 400 pages to get to the essence of an issue. Well, we can't do that anymore because we don't have college students with the attention spans to be able to read full books it's unreal and uh, all right and then you know gosh they have to show up on time and those they grades, graded those grades my god is so damn racist Real. all right uh final segment coming up on the john and leah show on the free speech broadcasting network the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah show tomorrow morning that's monday morning the podcast for this program will be available at our website www.freespeechbroadcasting.com uh, the uh, podcasts for the last uh, 8 or 9 months are available there now check them out at the end of the program lots of great stuff there before now in the end of the program in about uh, 8 minutes i, I want to talk about a-, a series of stories that came out this week leah Involving the issue of climate change or global warming or whatever the liberal nut jobs are calling it these days, extortion. Uh, that's what I call it. Yeah, it is extortion. Um, and there's there's several um, different elements to this. But basically, what happened this week that well, there was a major newspaper editorial calling for climate deniers to be punished. Yeah, a newspaper, by the way, supposed to be a bastion of free speech. So this 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 notion of Punishing climate deniers, like Holocaust deniers in Europe, right, uh, is getting into the mainstream now. It's not just a yes. fringe idea. It's, it's slowly seeping into the mainstream. We also have the prospect, apparently, this ought to be entertaining, of Sarah Palin debating Bill Nye, the science guy, over global warming. Um, I'm not—I <laughs> don't even need to get into the details of that, but that'll be entertaining because— you know, I'm not sure either of them really know what the hell they're talking about on the subject. Uh, although I'll take Sarah Palin on it, at least you know she's lived in Alaska most of her life, or at least adult life, so that'll give her a little bit of a leg up. And Bill Nye is no science Definitely expert.
1: Definitely not a science guy. <laughs> no. Um,
0: and then, and then most interestingly, there was this uh, in the Washington Post from yesterday, and and this really gets to the heart of. Of the many elements of the climate change, global warming mania that drive me crazy, this is number one. Uh, And it deals with statistics and and the issue of popularity rather than credibility. Uh, The headline in the Washington Post Research Shows Yet Again, There's No Scientific Debate About Climate Change. Uh, And here's the article. This This is fascinating to me, if not also insane. It's a well-known and widely cited statistic. 97% 97% of scientific experts agree that human-caused climate change is real. The consensus has been supported by numerous studies, and yet the idea that this statistic is made up or wrong is still a common position among climate doubters and a major tool used to foster public uncertainty about climate change. <laughs> now researchers have reinforced this finding of a scientific consensus once again in a new paper published this week in the Journal of Environmental Research Letters, which I'm sure is a very objective <laughs> publication yeah, on I'm this issue.
1: how much money they were paid to uh, do right. that.
0: The paper finds that an overwhelming majority of climate experts agree on the issue and that even though the contrarian movement begs to differ, there is no substantial scientific debate about it. All right, now, <laughs> now, okay, now, here's here's the thing. This, this is like... An onion with so many layers of nuttiness I'm not sure where (laughs) to start But but here's the essence of it And this is why it drives me so nuts Because at the heart of this matter Is the notion That because 97% of so-called experts Believe something That that means inherently It must be true That, That therefore Therefore disagreement Is not allowed it's not allowed in polite company. It's not allowed in the mainstream news media. Well, you'll and, be fired if you disagree uh, and now, Yes, and now we're even to the point where, because that hasn't worked well enough for these people, mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. winning the argument. So now they need to threaten actual punishment, make it a speech it's crime, unreal. a unreal. hate crime, to, to be a contrarian and to consider that, well, maybe the 97% who are saying that man-made climate change or global warming is real are not... Right, even suggesting that is somehow so wrong as to be a potential criminal offense at some point. Now here's this is why this hits home for me. One, because I'm a contrarian by nature, two, because I have been right many times, many times on major subjects where over ninety-seven percent of the so-called experts <laughs> disagree. Disagreed. I mean so so and I'm I'm actually someone who believes Leah that ninety-seven percent number is incredibly important because if it was you know let's let's look at this logically let's use some logic here if if you if you ask experts okay what is today what day of the week is today all right you would get you would get a hundred percent of calendar experts to tell you that where (laughs) we are right now it's sunday all right Uh that would be credible a hundred percent i would say okay i should probably believe that if it was 80%, Eighty percent, I would actually say, okay, on some other issue. Let's say, you know, something more controversial than what day of the week. If you have experts who, you know, say that uh, eighty with eighty percent certainty, or eighty percent of them say this must be true, that's a number that I would give a lot of credibility to because I'm, all right, it's a strong majority, but it shows that you're allowed within your industry to disagree, right? Right. The the ninety seven percent bogus is completely sets off alarm bells everywhere because you know what 97 (laughs) percent tells me it tells me you can't survive in your industry unless you have this point of view and yet despite despite (laughs) that there's still three percent out there who are willing to give up their careers in order to say wait a minute this ain't right now, so th- so inherently, with well, the way I look at the world, I look at ninety-seven percent, and I go, that's probably means it's bullcrap. Now, yes. that doesn't prove it's bullcrap by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not again; it's not a conspiracy theory. I'm just looking at the way human beings work. And the best analogy I can come up with, and people I'm sure who are in the scientific community would scoff at this, but it's a better analogy than they would ever want to admit. You know where else we see an enormous consensus? On um, on whether something is real or not, that there's no direct evidence for. If you ask five-year-olds, and people have done this, and I believe the number is darn close to 97%, if you ask five-year-olds, does Santa Claus exist? Yes. You're going to get... In the 95, 96, 97 percentile range. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. five-year-olds are experts on Santa. They know everything there is to know about Santa. They, they also do. have a massive self-interest in Santa being real. Correct. So, so the fact that 96, 97 percent of five, and I'm not making this up. There was actual study done this, on this. That that percentage of five-year-olds, Santa Claus experts, say that Santa is real. Does that mean that Santa Claus is real? Nope. No, it doesn't. In fact, all it does is show you that human beings will almost always act in their own self-interest. And by the way, 5-year-olds are old enough to know that certain things are not real. But not Santa Claus because <laughs> Santa Claus is too juicy for them. There's too much self-interest <laughs> in Santa Claus being real. Well, right. it's the same way with climate scientists. And they by get the way, grants, they get money. They're being paid. And it's worse than that. Because I guarantee you, the people who are let into the quote-unquote club to have their voices heard are only people who already agree. Because if you didn't agree, you wouldn't be allowed in the club to have exactly. your voice or your vote counted in the 97%. It's, and how many How many
1: were surveyed?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't have that number. I mean, I'm sure no, it's in the they hundreds. never do. Well. It's
1: always 97% of experts it doesn't say how many or who they work for But because
0: a a position is popular does not make it right and in fact in this day and age it's probably the opposite more often than not because our media is so damn broken leah as always i enjoyed it podcast of free speech broadcasting on monday till next sunday have a great week my name is john zickler this is the john and leah show on the free speech broadcasting network